and welcome to the I Am Woman Project, where every week we have deep thought-provoking and interesting conversations with thought leaders, change instigators, rule breakers and creative minds who think differently, sparking creativity and inspiration. Our special guests on our show cover a variety of topics just for you, and they share their personal stories to inspire, motivate and empower you, our listener. The I Am Woman podcast is produced for your enjoyment and show notes are found at www.catherineplano.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. I'm curious, do you want to know how to achieve lasting positive transformation, abundance and empower your life? If you are not happy with where you are today and the repeating patterns that represent in your life over and over again, then a radical shift is what's required to help you make changes and live your life more on purpose. All you need to do is sign up to our email list and you will receive an online module on how to create radical paradigm shifts. You can get it completely for free when you sign up to our email list at katherineplano.com. And as a valued subscriber, you are also going to get exclusive content that's only available to our email subscribers, where we will have members-only events, free access to online masterclasses, VIP and discount tickets to all events. Only available for people on our email list, we offer bonus content with more advanced tips that are exclusive just for our email subscribers. There is an amazing stuff available for you only if you sign up to the email list and you can do that by going to katherineplano.com and sign up on the homepage. This week I am super excited about our guest. We have Patrice Chestnut, PhD, MA in psychotherapist, coach and business consultant based in San Francisco. She holds graduate degrees in communication studies and clinical psychology and is the author of the books, The Complete Enneagram, 27 Paths to Greater Self-Knowledge and her other book, which is awesome, The Nine Types of Leadership, Mastering the Art of People in the 21st Century Workplace. She has been studying the Enneagram for over 30 years and offers Enneagram trainings internationally through the Enneagram School she co-founded, Chestnut Pace Enneagram Academy, focusing on using it as a tool for personal and professional transformation. More than anything, she is committed to walking the talk in her Enneagram work, using the Enneagram as a tool in her own ongoing, lifelong inner work. Patrice is passionate about supporting people in doing the work of creating more fulfilling relationships, work and life experiences. She views the Enneagram as an important vehicle for the larger, all-important goal of raising global consciousness so we can collectively create a more positive, sustainable and self-aware world community. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. 
Well, I'm super stoked today. We have a special guest for you. We have Beatrice Chestnut. Welcome to I Am Woman Project. Thank you very, very much for having me. I'm super excited. Obviously, I was just having a bit of a chat and uh, I mentioned that I've just um, completed Enneagram and absolutely loved it. And we actually hunted Beatrice down to come on this show uh, to talk us through the Enneagram. But before we do that, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to unpack her unique story. So tell us, how did you get to do what you're doing today? Well, it's interesting because I never really set out to work in psychology or work with the Enneagram. Uh, It sort of happened upon me. Uh, A good friend of mine's father was one of the early Enneagram pioneers, and I was at uh, having dinner at his house one night, and Dr. David Daniels is his name. Um, He just said, you know, the Enneagram was his new passion. He saw it as his calling and by far the best personal growth tool he had ever encountered. And he said, I think you're a two in the Enneagram system of nine types. Uh, And so I went home and I read the two chapter and I was completely shocked at how well it described me to myself. Uh, both what I knew to be true about myself and a lot of things that I only vaguely knew and didn't want to admit. And so that really launched me on a a personal growth journey that I hadn't really even known that I needed to go on. Um, Through the Enneagram, I um, got into therapy for the first time and started doing inner work, uh, got interested in psychology, went back to school to become a psychotherapist. Uh, And from there, through the Enneagram, have just branched out to do work as a coach and a business consultant. And now I've started an Enneagram school uh, called the Chestnut Pious Enneagram Academy that I run with my business partner and teaching partner and good friend, Uranio Pious, who's from Brazil. And we teach workshops and retreats um, all over the world. And it's a big honor to be able to teach this system and also help people use it for inner growth and help train people to use it well with other people as well with their clients and things like that. Wow, super amazing. And maybe for our listeners, let's maybe unpack the Enneagram. What are the nine different types? And if you'd like to, because I know that links in with your book, The Nine Types of Leaders, um, maybe unpack that for us a little bit. Sure. So the Enneagram is uh, a system of, it, it, well, it's the Enneagram diagram itself is a, an ancient symbol that has a lot of meaning uh, encoded in it just on its own. Um, in terms of the Enneagram of personality, um, it, the Enneagram symbol becomes a framework for nine interconnected personality types and um, it, no one knows exactly where this, uh, the teaching originated. It could be thousands of years old, which is one of the reasons I like it and one of the reasons why I think it's so accurate and effective in helping people grow. Um, and once you understand your Enneagram type, one of nine, uh, it helps you understand your blind spots, both your strengths and your challenges. And it helps you observe yourself more accurately. It helps you study and and understand yourself at a deeper level so that you can leverage your strengths more consciously, but also develop, you know, overcome challenges, broaden out your perspective, add more tools to your toolkit. Uh, And it helps leaders, especially because 
Um, when leaders can be more self-aware and more emotionally intelligent and understand why they do what they do at a deeper level, it helps them make more conscious choices. It helps them develop themselves in conscious ways and have better relationships and leverage their leadership ability uh, in more ways. So is it possible to maybe go through the, uh, the nine archetypes or the nine different types of leaders very high level? Sure. Yeah, it's uh, I can do a very high level um, scratching the surface uh, yes. description of the nine types. Uh, so the, the, the uh, one one thing to say is it's the nine types are divided into three three groups of three. Uh, it, the Enneagram system is based on the idea that we humans have three centers of intelligence. Our head that thinks and analyzes our heart that's based in emotion and, and focuses a lot on relationship and empathy and connecting with other people and our body based intelligence, which is a kind of gut knowing instinctual intelligence, kinesthetic intelligence. Now, each of these three, we all have all three centers. But uh, when we're in personality or when we identify with our personality, which is basically a way of surviving and getting along in the world, you know, it's not all of who we are, but it's the kind of self-image or identity that we identify with when we're making our way through the world before we start doing more deeper psychological development. Um, each of these three centers is operating, but each of us tend to come more from one center than the other two. So there are three types that are in the head center. There's three types that overuse the heart center and three types that overuse the body center. So starting with the body center, the, the eight types, eight, nine, and one are based in the body center. And type eight is sometimes called, I don't use the, the names of the types in my books, uh, but I do uh, I do use them when I'm introducing it in a high level like this so people get a little bit more of a flavor more quickly. Uh, but type eight is sometimes called the boss or the challenger. It's a type uh, of person that uh, focuses their attention and the Enneagram is based a lot on where your attention is focused. They focus their attention on power, on strength, on deploying strength and making big things happen. They're big picture thinkers. Uh, other people can sometimes find them intimidating, although they're not meaning to be intimidating. They just have a big energy and expansive energy. Uh, they tend to do things in a, an excessive way. They can be impulsive, very action oriented. Uh, and, and so that's the eight. The nine, the second body based type is sometimes called the mediator or the peacemaker. Uh, nines are very, they focus their attention on creating harmony among people. Uh, and they are very sensitive to their environment and uh, is everyone getting along? Is everyone, uh, uh, in included, uh, and they dislike conflict nines avoid conflict. And so because they avoid conflict, they can sometimes not be so in touch with their own desires and their own opinions and their own anger. Because if you're in touch with those things, you might voice them and that will get you into conflict. So nines are really good mediators. They're good at diffusing conflict. They're, they're good at supporting others, connecting others in community and supporting whatever is happening with the people around them. So ones are sometimes called the perfectionist or the reformer. And ones uh, see the world a bit in terms of how it could be more perfect. So they see like an ideal of perfection and how whatever's happening isn't quite making it toward that ideal and how it can be improved to make it more perfect. They tend to see the world in terms of good, good and bad, right and wrong, uh, and they want to be good people. They want to do the right thing. And so they tend to focus on being right, 
on doing it the right way, on not making mistakes, on uh, improvement, improving whatever they're working on, improving on themselves, uh, on being moral and ethical and doing things uh, the right way in every way. Uh, so that's type one. Type two is the first type in the heart center. Types twos, threes, and fours are the heart-based types. Uh, all of three of these types often got the message in childhood that they were they were appreciated or approved of by what they did or how they looked as opposed to who they really are. So twos uh, kind of cultivate an image of someone who's helpful and pleasing. Uh, twos are very focused on, on creating good relationships with others, on creating rapport with other people. So they tend to focus on being liked, on, um, on noticing how other people are feeling, intuiting what they need, and then providing that. Sometimes uh, twos are uh, defined a little bit simplistically as helpers and givers, and that's what they tend to be called. Uh, but I think there's there's a twos are often uh, giving to others so that they'll be liked. So there is a, a little bit of an a, a unconscious expectation of re reciprocity. So I'm helping you so that later when I need help, you'll be there for me. Although sometimes they don't say that and uh, they may expect it without saying it, but they tend to be very friendly and upbeat uh, and supportive of others uh, in, in a big way uh, in order to be in indispensable to others in some, in some ways. So then type threes are sometimes called the performer or the achiever. Threes are, uh, they, they like to, to or they, they're driven to create an image of success. So threes are very good at achieving whatever goal they set out. Uh, they're they think in terms of goals. Um, they think in terms of tasks. They're very work oriented. These are sometimes the workaholics of the Enneagram. Um, people that are very focused on uh, creating a good image, on look, you know, playing the part of someone or becoming whatever people value. Uh, they're very good at um, becoming successful or becoming whatever is valued in a particular social context so that they look good, they have achieved status or whatever icons of success. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's a, it's a title. Uh, they're good at kind of creating an image of success through their achievement of, uh, of status and different things like that. Um, now, uh, four is the third... Uh, heart type fours are sometimes known as the artist or the romantic or the individualist uh, fours uh, aren't shapeshifters like twos and threes will kind of shift shape shape themselves into what other people want them to be fours want to be authentic they also want to connect with people and they're very sensitive to connection and disconnection with others uh, but they want to be seen not as pleasing like twos or successful like threes, but as special and uniquely who they are. Uh, they like to, they, they are driven to want to be understood by people and they can suffer when they feel uh, misunderstood, uh, but they want to be seen as who they uniquely are. So they tend to be involved in some form of self-expression. Sometimes they compare themselves to others and find themselves either lacking or find themselves to be, uh, they, they can start competing with others and want to be uh, better than others. But either way, it can be, it, they have a comparing mind uh, and sometimes can feel like they're not good enough uh, because they compare themselves and maybe see that someone else has something that I don't have. Uh, but very oriented toward connecting with people in an authentic way.
Um, type five is the it, types five, six, and seven are the head based types. Uh, so more analytical, more mental. Uh, fives are sometimes called the expert or the observer or the investigator. Fives are the most mental type and they're also the most introverted type. They automatically disconnect from emotions and come more from the head. It doesn't mean they don't feel emotions. It just means they feel more comfortable feeling their emotions when they're by themselves uh, and have, may have a hard time feeling their emotions about the person they're interacting with in the moment. They need to kind of go away and think about it or get in touch with their emotions through thinking about it when they're, uh, when they're alone. They have uh, a lot of need for private space and boundaries and uh, can sometimes uh, have a sense that they can be depleted by too much interaction with others. And so that's part of the reason for their uh, introversion, for the wanting a lot of time alone, a lot of space. Uh, they're very uh, concerned about de getting depleted in terms of time and energy and space. So sixes are the uh, are also head-based types. They're um, sometimes called the devil's advocate or the contrarian or the loyalist. Uh, the sixes focus their attention on safety and security and finding certainty. Uh, and so they tune into risks and threats and dangers uh, in order to figure out what's going to happen ahead of time so that they can uh, prepare for whatever uh, might go wrong. Uh, and so they forecast potential problems and they tend to be very good problem solvers. Uh, they're good at seeing, poking holes in a plan or troubleshooting, thinking at work they're on a team, they're very good troubleshooters. Like when someone comes up with a plan, they ask a lot of questions to test it, to see like, are there holes in this plan so that something bad can happen that we haven't foreseen and we'll get thrown off track. Uh, sometimes people can perceive them as pessimistic because they're looking for problems and they're looking for threats, but it's really more about risk management. And what they usually say is, I'm not, I'm not pessimistic, I'm realistic. And I'm actually trying to help by figuring out what could go wrong, what the worst case scenario is so that we can uh, be aware of it and plan for that if that should happen and know what to do if it does happen. And they can actually be very calm in a crisis when the worst actually does happen. And they can also be very contrarian. They can push back on authority, uh, kind of test ideas by thinking of the opposite and arguing the opposite side. Uh, type seven, the last type, uh, is also a head type. Uh, it's a type, uh, sevens are sometimes called the epicure or the adventurer or the enthusiast. And this is someone who's very focused on what's positive, on um, thinking outside the box. They tend to be very innovative, creative thinkers. Very, They tend to be very future oriented. Um, and they tend to be very focused on planning for pleasure and play. They can be very lighthearted and fun loving and they like to make work fun and they like to lift people's spirits. Um, now the, you know, all of these are, you know, ego, e ego issues. And so sevens unconsciously, they focus on what's positive as a way of avoiding what's painful. Now, sevens tend to not be aware of this very much. They just feel like I'm just, you know, I just, why would you feel bad if you could feel good? Uh, and so they tend to think more just on the positive side. And that's that that's sort of, you know, why would you not look at what's positive? Um, and in many ways, it is a good thing to focus on the positive. However, you could see even as a leader, 
it might be bad to focus on only what's positive because sometimes you don't see threats coming. You don't see risks. You don't pay attention to the negative data in the situation, which sometimes you might need to take care of, whether it's uh, something happening that's task related or in a relationship. Sometimes sevens can have a hard time having that difficult conversation with someone or confronting uh, problems because they can want to sort of look on the bright side and not not recognize uh, what might be happening that's difficult in the moment, which is part of why they're future oriented, kind of moving ahead. Uh, they tend to be very fast paced, kind of wanting to move on and not dwell on what's happening in case it's uncomfortable or painful in any way. Um, so that's part of what motivates the, the, the positive focus for sevens. Well, I can definitely relate. I'm a seven. I actually am a seven, my main, and my release was five and a stretch was one. And I can I can relate to what you were just saying, Deborah. It, I, I call it spiritual bypassing where I'm always seeing the good in everything and uh, that's my opportunity to actually have a look at what are the risks involved in that as well, so being more balanced. Yes, exactly. That's a really good way to put it. And spiritual bypassing is an important thing that sevens do and, and for instance, fives can do. Uh, so it's really important to, to, to be aware of that. And, and it's good for sevens to get in touch with that. So it's great that you, that you see that in yourself. Mm. So what would be that one piece of advice? Because we do have a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and uh, women and men in business listening to this show. What kind of advice would you give them if they want to embark on a new life or career that's linking into the Enneagram? Um, well, I think it's we need people that know the Enneagram. I think there is an explosion of interest in the Enneagram. And it's really, the Enneagram is all about self-awareness. So I would say, for one thing, if you're going to work with the Enneagram, it's really important for you yourself to be on a personal growth path, uh, both to understand what the path is so you can help others, you know, whether it's as a coach or a therapist or a spiritual director or uh, anyone that works with people to help them self-develop, um, the Enneagram is a great tool for any of those kinds of careers. It's actually, when I, was when I was training to be a psychotherapist, I always thought of it as my secret weapon. I always thought, like, how can anyone learn to be a therapist without this? Because it just helps you understand people so much more quickly and get to the heart of the matter uh, in a way that is just saves a lot of time and is also very effective. So I would say, first of all, be on a personal growth path yourself, because you'll learn about what really helps people from the inside and what the path requires. And um, it will help you understand the people that you work with at a much deeper level. It'll help you model some of the things that other people will need to learn. Um, and then I would say, learn the Enneagram really, really well. Um, I think um, the downside of the explosion of interest in the Enneagram is that sometimes people learn it more superficially, uh, and it is a complex system, and it does take some an investment of time and energy to learn it really well and really deeply. Uh, and it's hard because sometimes people don't know where to go or they don't know uh, when they when they you know know it deep enough, but. Um, you know, find someone who's a really solid Enneagram teacher and and learn it at a very deep level because there is a lot to it. There's a lot of layers to it. It's very easy to stereotype people even without meaning to and to use it as something shallow that's just for description and not for growth. Uh, and so I think it's it's it, those that's the advice that I would give. 
And I mean, it is, it's a great blueprint. I love it. Uh, but in the, in the same token, you could, I think that everyone relates to it in a different way. It depends on their, I guess, their experience and their stories to each archetype. And, and I look at it as a way that, uh, yes, we have a particular strong archetype, but I would look at at the um, it's almost like the circumplex. It's a dance floor. You can actually move into the energy you need to move into. It's almost like you you pluck. I always look at you know you can you can draw from this archetype if you need this superpower for this particular day. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think that's really true. I think the enneagram, you know, it's oriented on a circle and it's really a map of wholeness. And how when we take on a personality in life, which we need to do to survive in the world, we we necessarily kind of start looking at 360 degrees of reality through a narrow slice based on our coping strategies and our focus of attention. And we do develop strengths and specialties associated with our type. But one of the ways to use the Enneagram uh, for growth is exactly like you're saying is to start to integrate the healthy qualities of some of the other types to expand your perspective and to expand uh, your toolkit in terms of the different ways that you have of of being effective in the world. Mm. So I'm curious, Beatrice, during your time with Enneagram, what has been one of your greatest lessons that you have learned thus far? Oh, I've learned so many things. I think with uh, with being a two, you know, one thing is – that was really important is one thing that caused me a lot of anxiety actually is this sort of need to have everyone like me and everyone be happy with me and everyone not be mad at me. You know, that took a lot of energy and it's not possible anyway. Uh, and actually if you're, you know, when you're really being yourself, who you are, it's much more freeing and some people aren't going to like you. Uh, so there's that kind of thing. There's also, I think, being uh, I think the lesson of being uh, in humility is also another one. Of course, I, I'm not always living there like I might want to, but two's uh, chief feature or you know one of their main motivating factors, which can be unconscious, is pride, uh, and it's wanting to be important to people, wanting to be indispensable as a way of getting needs met indirectly. So there's a lot of different things about my personality that grow out of this kind of central feature of pride that are very invisible and hard for a lot of twos to be aware of. Um, But if I'm focusing on being in humility, and that is not making myself small, but but sort of being real about who I am and, and what is mine to do and what isn't mine to do and what I can do and Uh, All of these things, humility has been a huge lesson. And I think it's something that all the types can learn. It's a way of saying, you know, we need to try to be aware of when we're doing things for ego needs or not. And if we can be humble enough to sort of give up our ego needs or get over our ego, uh, then that often is a lot right there because we're not coming from this stance of, uh, just pr- needing to protect a self-image, but we're, we have a much more broad range of what we can do and, and what we can see in ourselves. How, and I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to sort of maybe unpack the ego piece a little bit. How does one know when it's the ego stepping in? That's a great question. Um, I think, I think, so the method that goes along with the Enneagram or the basic first method, let's put it that way, is self-observation. Uh, because it's the idea that we don't know ourselves as well as we think we do. And so one of the things we need to do is observe ourselves and ask the question, 
you know, what's motivating me right now? You know, is it, uh, is it about defending my ego? Is it, you know, noticing when we're triggered? And usually we know when our, when our ego's driving things is when we feel like offended by something or insulted by someone. If we've had like sort of a, a deeper wound kind of triggered or we're bothered excessively by something or we feel defensive about something, those are all clues that our ego is sort of in charge. Uh, when we can make ourselves vulnerable, that's a really good sign when we're being truly vulnerable that we're not an ego because ego does not want to be vulnerable. You know, ego wants to always look good and be kind of, kind of bulletproof. So when we're, say, sharing something with a friend or with a group of people and and by the way, when I was when I was I trained as a group facilitator at Stanford Business School. And one of the things the leadership experts always used to say there was one mark of a good leader is the ability to, to, to selectively self-disclose vulnerability. Um, and so when you can say something to people that feels a little bit humiliating or that's kind of embarrassing or that you don't normally feel comfortable saying to people, but that's true and that there's a purpose for saying it, um, oftentimes that's a real clue that you're not coming from ego because your ego would rather you just sort of whitewash things or make yourself look good all the time and wouldn't really share a deeper truth uh, that everyone might not like or might not see as something that's sort of uh, sort of like a good thing or, or, uh, or something that's going to make you look good. Oh, I love that. And I think that's a really important question to ask is, uh, what's your motivation? What's your trigger? Cause sometimes it is, it's like you want to, um, share things with people without even, I mean, cause we are, we all live in such a fast paced world and environment for us to be the observer of our own thoughts and feelings. That takes a lot of practice. Uh, and I don't see that that happens often. I don't know if, if you say, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think it's much harder than it sounds. Um, and that's why I often uh, suggest or recommend a meditation practice that goes along with self-observation, because self-observation relies on developing kind of an inner witness inside yourself and ability to shift your attention at will, uh, an ability to notice when you're forgetting yourself, when you're just getting caught up in being an autopilot or doing things habitually and really bringing your attention back to remembering yourself and really noticing, okay, what am I feeling right now? What am I doing right now? How can I be aware of myself and my body? Uh, and, and, and so it is, it, it, it's, it's much more difficult than it sounds. And yet it's very simple at the same time, you know, mindfulness practices, meditation practices can be very helpful in supporting self-observation. Uh, but it requires kind of ongoing practice and kind of a commitment to really, really doing it. Mm. And I think it's just, it, it takes me back to a conversation I just had yesterday when um, I'll do a lot of leadership work myself. And I always was ask, what's the purpose? What's our why we are doing this? And it's really interesting because it makes people reflect and think about it. But when we also um, talk about vulnerability, I find that, especially in the corporate environment, that seems to be um, not easy for most leaders. You know, they don't want to be too transparent. They don't want to be seen as weak. They don't want to be seen as vulnerable. Yet that's the new leader of this day and age. And um, I know you do a lot of leadership work. How do you get through those kind of roadblocks when people go, well, I can't show my vulnerability because I'm the CEO of this company? 
Yes, I, I think you're so right. And certainly different culture in different cultures, that's even stronger. I, I, I'm a little bit lucky in that I live in San Francisco and I do a lot of work in Silicon Valley. And really there is a, a, a growing awareness among leaders that if you can make yourself a little bit vulnerable, if you share some emotion, it actually makes you a stronger leader. People respect you more. They can connect with you more. They find you more approachable. They trust you more. Uh, now, sometimes you still you need to make the case for this, I think, with some leaders. And I think uh, oftentimes, you know, things like 360s and getting feedback from people can support that work of saying, you know, you know and I think I think it's important, especially in business, to tie these kinds of things to the bottom line, to tie it to being more effective as a leader. And I think if you can make the case that you're actually going to be more effective, you're going to uh, your your company's going to do better, your people are going to be happier, everything's, you know, the things that you want, the metrics that you want to 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 be doing well will be affected if you can understand yourself more. Uh, be more aware of what your challenges are, share some of those. And again, not all the time, not without a thoughtful purpose. Uh, but the more you can share more with your team, the more effective you are. And sometimes I just challenge people to experiment a little bit and see what happens. And if they can take, you know, take one little step at a time and find out that actually good things happen when they take the risk to share a little bit more, uh, that that you can really see a, a conscious shift, you know that that often speaks volumes. Mm, and I, mean, I think that also doesn't matter where you're at in you know uh, I guess if you're a CEO, MD, or doesn't matter where you're at in a corporate environment. I think there's it shows the humility side of you being a human being uh, when you are being uh, a little bit transparent and a little bit vulnerable. And we're not saying like you know massive steps. We're talking even as simple as I too am a little bit tired, but we can do this together. So instead of, you know, I know that there's some leaders, they're just, they come across very composed and, and, um, forthright and got this massive energy. But then when you have this one on one with them, it's like, I'm tired. I'm like, why don't you say right. that? Why don't you share that? So it makes yeah. you see this humanistic side of you so that your team will see that you're tired too. Because then right. some of their teams will look upon their leader and go, well, how do they do it? Maybe I'm not right for this role. I can't do it. Yes, exactly, exactly. And but if you're more relatable, if you connect with people through through being human, oftentimes they they'll do anything for you. You know, that's the way to create deeper bonds. Sometimes I use examples. You know, and and that's why in my book, the nine types of leadership. I interviewed a lot of leaders because I knew this would kind of be a difficult case to make for some people. Uh, but I have a lot of stories of leaders and, and you know, from some recognizable uh, companies where these leaders are saying, here's how the Enneagram helped me and here's how it helped me to be more self-aware and make myself more vulnerable. So that I, I wanted to offer just an example so that people could say, oh, wow, that leader did it in this way. And here's a story about how that happened that I can learn from. Yeah, and I think that's there's a, a beautiful uh, piece. I mean, you're actually leading them into the how, and I think a lot of them don't know how to do it. That's the missing piece. They don't know how to be vulnerable. They don't know how to lean in and and be more humanistic with their team. Right, right. So yeah, your exactly. So your book's yeah. got some tips in there through the stories. Right, right, and it also has you know even just bullet pointed lists. You know. 
here's here's what this type here's what this personality type finds hard and challenging in work situations and here's the strengths of this type and here's some ideas about how this person can be easier to work with and here's some ideas about how to work well with this per- type of person if you're working with someone like that so it has some practical ideas about both if you're a particular type what to do and also what to do when you're working with someone who's a particular type that's the, the other person mm. So the other thing we love to ask our woman of inspiration is pain points. We believe everyone has pain points. So Beatrice, what would be a pain point for you, uh, whether it's in business or life, and how do you work through your pain points? What's your solution? I think that um, I think having conflict with people has been a pain point for me. You know, I, I, my personality type is one of the ones that sort of habitually avoids conflict and can kind of hide from it or. Uh, avoid it. And so that's been something I've been learning a lot about lately. And I think, you know, of course, I'm still learning, so I don't always do it well. But uh, in some cases, I've been able to um, just really share at a deeper level, more vulnerably what's happening with me. And oftentimes that inspires the other person to get to a deeper level. So we get beneath the level at which we're uh, having the difference. Um, sometimes it's, you know, getting over my own ego and, and really looking at sort of what can I own in this situation? What do I need to own? What's my part? Uh, and, and sort of when you're lucky enough to be in relationship, whether at work or in life with people who can do that themselves, oftentimes, um, conflicts become easier to work through. Uh, I'm in, you know, I'm starting a company with a business partner in the last, I've been starting a company in the last couple of years. And, We've had some conflict, and I think that's just normal. In you know, it's the storming phase of teams, as you know, in the in the uh, famous uh, uh, norming, forming, norming, forming, storming, norming, performing uh, stages of team development. And so, being able to uh, navigate conflict and 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 not always just make myself wrong either. I think as a two, sometimes I can make my like, okay, it's just all my fault, you know, and take on too much. And so finding that sweet spot between owning what I can own and sort of rising above my ego to take responsibility, uh, and not just defend myself, but also not take on what's not mine to own, you know, to try to be straightforward and honest with the other person about how I'm experiencing them, uh, be being more clear, because sometimes is it too as well, it can be hard for me to give direct and honest feedback because I want to sugarcoat things because I worry about the relationship and will they be able to hear my truth and and things like that. So that, that, that's been one, one big point, pain point that I've been trying to work on. And I think I personally think that conflict is quite healthy. I think that sometimes it gives you a better understanding of one another and sometimes you can agree to disagree, but it creates this really strong foundation where there's a respect for one another that, yeah, I can see – you're just like that and I think that that helps with the Enneagram when you understand the Enneagram as well and you understand their type I think you become a lot more understanding and less judgmental towards the individual is that have you found that for yourself yes definitely that's true I think that's one of the the big advantages of working with the Enneagram is all of a sudden you realize if you're having a conflict with someone it's not because anybody's right or wrong it's often because you're seeing things from two completely different angles uh and you have more empathy for people who have other 
other personality perspectives and structures than you do. And so I think that's been really helpful because you can get a window into how someone else might be seeing this in a way that, like you said, creates a lot more understanding more quickly. Mm. I love it. So the other thing that we love to do as we wrap up the show is ask our woman of inspiration, pick one word that best describes her personal brand. What would be that one word for you, Beatrice? Um, I think it would be something like transformation. Mm, love it. And the other thing that we love to ask our woman of inspiration is to leave three shiny golden nuggets for our listeners. So what would be those three practical skills that you would like to leave for our listeners? Um, well, I think the first one would be self-observation, like we talked about. You know, it's it, it, it may not be as simple as it sounds, but I think it's really the key uh, to a lot of things. So I would say, you know, if you can Start a practice of learning to observe yourself all as much as possible. You know, you'll forget, but as much as possible to uh, almost create a mindfulness practice out of uh, observing yourself and seeing seeing that you have a lot to learn about yourself. And if you watch very carefully, that you'll learn more than you think you might. I think that would be one thing. Um, another thing would be, you know, the, one of the Enneagram things that Enneagram is, I think, particularly well suited to is helping people see blind spots. So I think if you have the courage to ask people that you know and trust for feedback about what might be your blind spots, because the whole thing about a blind spot is we don't know we have it, right? It's We're blind to the fact that we have a blind spot. Um, so I think sometimes if you take some time to ask for feedback and we don't really ask for this, sometimes there are formal feedback procedures at work, but in our lives, sometimes we don't ask our friends for feedback. And oftentimes we can learn a lot, uh, because feedback is a gift and it, we can help, uh, see something, uh, in terms of our blind spots. And I guess the last thing I would say is, you know, don't be afraid to really, Take, take inventory of what psychological work you may need to do. Uh, because as you say, sometimes even people who get uh, into uh, something like the Enneagram can, without meaning to, get into a bit of bypassing. Uh, because sometimes we have trigger points that point to issues that we really need to work on and we may not realize we need to work on. You know, maybe you had a diff difficult relationship with your father. You know, maybe, you know, there was uh, a trauma that you had early in your life that you haven't really addressed. I think sometimes when people work with the Enneagram, you know, and they try to do some deeper work, that's sometimes what they run into. And so I think just if you're really on a growth path or if you're wanting to be a, a know yourself at a deeper level, uh, be open and curious about what psychological work you might need to do, even if it's a short piece of therapy or uh, or you could do something in coaching where, you know, what, what is it that might be holding me back that I really may need to pay attention to in a, in a systematic way? Mm, I love all three and all three are very, very powerful. And I think sometimes it's really hard to ask for feedback. And I, I think that links into fear of um, hearing what people are going to say about you. But that's the only way that we're going to grow. And like you said, it actually does really help shine light on our blind spots. Right, Exactly. So, Beatrice, where is the best place for our listeners to find you? So, there are two websites right now. One is the website for our new Enneagram Academy. It's cpenneagram.com. That stands for Chestnut Pius, my, my name and my business partner's last name, Uranio Pius. So, it's cpenneagram.com. And then also my 
uh, my website, BeatriceChestnut.com, where there's uh, more information about the business consulting and, and uh, leadership work I do, but also a calendar of our workshops and retreats uh, for the Enneagram Academy. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's been a very uh, exciting for me, and I was really looking forward to today. I've written down so many notes, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will reach out to you. You're absolutely amazing, very inspirational. I can't thank you enough for your time and your energy. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's been really great talking with you. Thank you. That brings us to the end of another episode. I hope you enjoyed the show as it is my mission to reach out and inspire as many individuals like you. And one of the best ways to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. It's easy and it only takes about 10 seconds. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift. Where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Catherine Plano. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next week, please take care of yourself.